thing from another world. You gotta be fucking kidding. Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I am your host, Leo, and today we are discussing The Thing from Another World, as well as The Thing. I'm actually going to do this episode kind of in two parts. I have just finished watching The Thing from Another World, then I'm going to pause the episode, go watch The Thing 1980s, and then come back. I'm doing it this way so that I kind of have the movies fresh in my mind immediately after I watch them to kind of discuss. So that's kind of the... <laughs> weird way I'm doing this structure. But today is the Halloween episode. It actually comes out on Halloween too, so hey, one hell of a good way to start off a series with a, a good way to start with a Halloween episode. That's good. Anyway, so going on, the thing from another world, I got the DVD. I, I funnily enough, I was looking around I was like, oh man, I kind of want to do an episode on The Thing from Another World, but I might have to go buy the DVD. And I look over at my DVDs, and I see something that looks kind of familiar. So I get up and I look, and it's it's The Thing from Another World. I, I already had it. Whoops. <laughs> so that saved me time and effort. Uh, the first time I watched the movie, I watched it free on the internet through I, I some website. I can't remember. But, you know, it, it's because it's kind of technically open source now or um what's the what's the name basically you know public domain that's it <laughs> took me a while so it, it's technically kind of a public domain film this ori at least this original film is it kind of maybe it, it's from uh let's see let's see if i can get a, a precise date 1951 it is in black and white and as I said in my blob review or discussion, that uh, it's very 1950s, as you may expect from a movie from the 50s. So you're going to have a lot of those kind of stereotypical um, elements sprinkled throughout. It is based off of the book uh, Who Goes There by James Campbell, I believe his name is. It, it doesn't say on the back of the movie. It That, that does not help I have the movie case right here with me so I can look at it and help formulate more thoughts about it. So the movie opens in Anchorage, Alaska with, you know, some military guys doing what military guys do, just kind of palling about, making jokes, you know, doing the military do of the 1950s. They are discussing, you know, what they're going to do, what's happening, when... Uh, the captain, who I'm just going to call the captain throughout this, uh, gets called in by his superior to discuss some incident that happened at the North Pole uh, research outpost. So he comes in, and there's this weird like gag, I guess you could call it, or joke, where whenever someone opens the door, the superior officer just kind of immediately barks, close the door. It's like, okay. Which is fine. But... They get a message from the research outpost saying that a plane crashed nearby and they need some people to come out to help take a look at it. So, well, they do. They go, they run into some weird magnetic interference on their way, and then they come in, land, start meeting with the people on the research base. The captain has a weird previous relationship with the um, doctor's assistant. Uh, and basically she pulled a practical joke on him where 
I think from context, he got super drunk and she either pinned a message to his chest or shaved his legs, took the leg hair and wrote a message to his head, wrote a message on his chest with the leg hair and glue. I am not sure exactly which because the conversation kind of goes back and forth a lot. <laughs> and basically the best, the thing it kind of boils down to is that, well, she pulled a practical joke on him when he got pissed drunk. And I'm guessing they were having some kind of drinking contest because he asks her how she was able to put away all that liquor and like she wasn't like, you know, hiding it or, you know, dumping it while he wasn't looking. But she's like, no, I drank it all. But after that, he meets with the doctor who starts to kind of explain that it might not be an ordinary plane crash. And there, and it's also not a meteor. Because they had like this radioactive triggered camera set up. So that if any kind of radioactivity kind of came in, it would trigger a camera. And what it caught was that it changed directions. So, they decide to go investigate to see what this craft was. They find the area and see that it kind of skidded and melted into the ice. So it, it was able to generate enough heat to melt all the ice and sink down before finally cooling and getting covered up. They're able to see into the ice to kind of get an outline of it. Um, it doesn't seem very big. Like, they're treating it as if it's, like, this massive thing, but it doesn't it doesn't look that big when they go to measure it out. Like, I would say maybe 30, 30 to 50 feet, you know, across. But their, their big discovery is that it's round. So it's a, it's a flying saucer. So they decide, we need to get it out. So standard operating procedure, you use thermite charges to melt the ice and retrieve the ship or retrieve things in ice they set one charge by the little wing thing that i think is a terrible idea because they're setting it definitely over the ship and then one kind of farther out towards the edge of the ship if i if i were them i kind of would have maybe done it around the ship or something because you don't know how strong this material is. Sure, it was able to survive in space and through, you know, atmospheric re-entry. But you don't know exactly how much heat it can actually take, for sure. Especially concentrated. But they detonate the thermite, thermite charges and uh, accidentally blow up the ship. They then uh, go and find out that since they destroyed the ship the radioactive signal that they were getting is now extremely weak, which I would have been very concerned about the fact that there was so much radioactivity because they, they're constantly carrying around these Geiger counters. I would have been a bit concerned with how high it was getting. Like, hmm, is this going to cause me problems in the future? <laughs> Who knows? But, anywho, one of the guys that has a, Ge a Geiger counter on him goes out onto the ice to kind of see if there's any remnants. And they come across a a being trapped in the ice. So they decide, while they have time, to chip him out and, you know, bugger off. So after, you know, performing this extremely delicate uh, maneuver, they just kind of haul it back to their base, bring it in, and just kind of set it in a room, 
the doctor wants to thaw it out to study it and no one else wants to do that <laughs> well except for his other scientist buddies but all of the military people just say no we need to get orders first to figure this out uh so he breaks a window to let the cold in to keep it uh stable so after that they kind of decide to watch it in shifts and what the first guy on shift gets a bit scared of the monster because he says that you know since the ice is kind of clearing a bit you can see its hands and its eyes feel like they're actually seeing and it's like okay sure you know spooky stuff but then it kind of slows down a bit he decides to shorten the amount of the length of the shifts of watch to kind of put his men at ease so he shortens it from four hours to two hours to kind of keep things calm but the second guy on shift also gets creeped out by the monster and decides to put a blanket over it forgetting that the blanket in that room is an electric blanket that was brought in for the first guy because it's really cold in that room so the electric blanket was put on it and was still on (laughs) and so over the next two hours it thaws the monster who gets up the guy shoots at it and then panics and runs away um and then he gets the attention of everyone they see it it's attacking the um huskies uh (laughs) in a kind of funny but also kind of sad scene because you're like oh poor dogs but at the same time it's just the guy in the monster suit flailing around like a stuffed wolf thing it's it's a bit silly Uh, they go out to you know fight it and chase it off but they come across um under one of the dead huskies uh, a hand and they bring it in and they start to study it um and this is where the silliest revelation of the film is kind of um, made while they're studying it he determines that or the doctor determines that it doesn't have any blood in it the blood that you see is just from the the dogs so he kind of you know takes a sample has it looked at and he's like oh yeah no this isn't this isn't uh like a human-y kind of material and there's a reporter that had joined them because they're like "Ooh, you know this could be interesting news i need a scoop kind of thing you know as 50s reporters do and so he he keeps talking to the to the guy or to the doctor like so you're saying it's some kind of vegetable and he's like yes i am and then the big revelation he's saying it's like some super intelligent carrot and he's like yeah you're not far off it it pretty much is a carrot it's a vegetable that is walking around now the doctor is of the assumption which i guess fair enough it is a creature that you know built a ship and came to another planet but he's under the assumption that it is super intelligent that it can communicate and that is what he wants to do he wants to try to talk to it um it does seem kind of like later he kind of drops it but in the end he does still try to communicate with it like an idiot uh he they hear a noise in the greenhouse they decide to search around the place to try to find it after they saw that it feeds on blood and the hand was able to reanimate 
after it absorbed the blood that was on it. So they know that it, it's probably going to be extremely hard to kill. Because it's basically like shooting a vegetable. <laughs> so they venture out to figure out uh, where it is, what's going on. And they find... They go to the greenhouse where there's two entrances. The doctor notices something but doesn't divulge. And the rest kind of you know, bugger off to f figure out what's going on. Uh, the doctor had found that some of their plants had died caused by a blast of arctic cold that would have been brought on by someone opening the door for about 15 seconds and then closing it. So, he sends someone to check the lock. They find that the lock has been broken and then bent back into place. And they also find this, like, container thing, which I guess is where they keep, like, spare soil and maybe some fertilizer or whatnot. And they open it. And there's a dog body in there, drained of all of its blood, uh, probably used so that it could regenerate. They decide to kind of stay and keep watch within the greenhouse to see if it comes back. And so then we kind of cut back to the uh, scientists, sorry, the military people, just kind of chatting. When one of the guys that was guarding the greenhouse comes in, beat up, he passes out, they, you know, wake him with smelling salts, and he says that the thing is now in the greenhouse, and it has killed two of the scientists that were guarding the place. So they all go to the greenhouse, open the door, and it's standing right there, and it's regrown its arm, and they, they're able to block it into the greenhouse. You know, to keep it, you know, blocked away. And they, sp they spend probably a good long time barricading that door. Because it does like a fade away and fade back. And they have a ton of wood just barricading the door. And then they have the outside door uh, barricaded as well. So they think that they have it trapped. Um, but, after more discussions... They come to the conclusion that it's it's going to get out of the greenhouse. But how can we destroy it? And the doctor's assistant lady comes in with the idea of cooking it. You know, it's a vegetable, so you can boil it, steam it, you know, <laughs> cook it, fry it. And so they decide, okay, so let's try to burn it. And they try to use kerosene. And they using the Geiger counters, are able to determine that the thing has left the greenhouse and is on its way to them. So they kind of mount up and prepare to attack it. And this is probably the most iconic and uh, probably the best scene of the film in which they, the thing opens the door and they douse it with kerosene, shoot it with a flare gun, douse it with more kerosene, and douse it with yet more kerosene, to keep it burning. It goes on a mini rampage in the room. And then dives out the window. Which is probably again the most iconic scene from this film. Is the the burn stunt that James Arness I believe. Yeah. Uh, did as the thing. And it, it is a really cool stunt. And it is very funny because. As he's like kind of preparing to jump out the window. You can kind of see him like ready. And then jump through the window. It, it's fun. <laughs> they block up the window 
and start to tend to their wounds and decide that they, they're going to try again. Use kerosene to burn it out. But the problem is, oh, you know, we might burn down this entire establishment if we do that. But they come to the idea of maybe using electrocution. You know, if we're if we're going to set up wires anyway, we might because they plan on discussing through like a relay of um, intercoms to talk to keep track of where the thing is. And so the electrician says, if we're going to be laying all this wire, why don't we just set up an electric trap? There should be enough juice to like shock it to death and like burn it that way. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's do that. And their main thing is they set up a like some chicken wire or fencing wire under the wood walkway of the base in a specific area to set it up, I'm guessing as a ground or something. And then they have supposedly, you don't really see them like two poles to like shock down on either side. Although you don't really see it, but they say that that's what they're doing and they wait and the monster kind of starts to come and whatnot. And they're counting it on their Geiger counter. It's very similar to like aliens and aliens where they're, you know, monitoring it on these things, although all they have is like a little bleepy light and <laughs> and whether or not the uh, radiation's getting kind of bad. But anyhow, <laughs> the thing comes and starts to kind of stalk towards them. It picks up like a, a bit of wood that they were using to brace the door that he comes through. And it's probably the funniest scene because they have this door braced, you know, because usually the way you brace a door is you're on the side that the door opens towards, right? And you're bracing it so that when they come to open the door, they, you know, just hit the wood and they can't quite open it. He just opens it the other way. <laughs> like, he comes, he pulls the door open, and the brace is just there, and he just, like, knocks it over. Then he picks up a bit of it, and then he kind of starts stalking down the hallway. Then the power cuts, because the doctor, still wanting to try to communicate with him, he decides to you know turn off the power holds it holds them at gunpoint for like a second before someone grabs the gun from him then he rushes out to the thing and is like i know you're intelligent you can understand what i'm saying you know we don't mean you any harm and whatnot so please stop attacking us even though nothing that the monster has done itself has exactly proven that it's a super super intelligent except for the fact that it came on a ship and that it turned off their oil to start to freeze them out. Which is part of the... It, it's just like a weird addition to their, their final plan. Um, because cause they were already working on the plan when all of a sudden... Oh, it's gotten a bit cold. Okay. But it knocks the doctor away. And he start, continues to stalk towards them. And they're like, it's getting close, but it needs to be on the walkway. So someone throws their pickaxe at it. And it like hops onto the walkway. And then continue stalking. And then they flip the switch and kill it. Um, like, it's a decent effect as it kind of starts to shrink. As it's kind of being whittled and burned away. It's kind of cool. But then after that, the doctor, who the entire time had been bugging them about letting him tell his story, is finally given the chance to tell his story to a room of reporters over the radio. And it ends with the whole, you know keep looking to the skies because there's, there's a thing out there or there's aliens out there. They do exist. Keep your eyes on the skies. 
which is a bit of a weird way to end it, but hey. And that, that's just how it ends. I would say overall, it is a pretty decent film. It's very 1950s cheese, if that is what you like. I would decently recommend it, but there are some problems, like the doctors kind of switched to weird madness, basically blamed on him just being a bit tired. He decides to, he finds these seeds in the hand that they recover, and he decides to start planting them. And when they find out that the hand absorbs blood, he assumes that the best way to cultivate these seeds is by taking the plasma that they have stored, you know, in case of some some injuries, he decides to use that to grow the seeds, and it does. And the other doctors rightly assume, probably, that it is also growing plants in the greenhouse to create more of them, using the two uh, other scientists that were killed in the greenhouse. And so he he just doesn't see it. In fact, one of his lines as he's going to talk to the thing, is we, our duty is to die instead of destroying these, these you know, the we, uh, wisdom that can be found from these things. He's straight up ready to just have everyone on the base killed for this thing that is very obviously not as intelligent as he's assuming it is and not, you know, doing what you would hope that it would do if it was a kind of friendly creature. You know, it's killed two people, killed a bunch of dogs, and it's trying to kill everyone in the building. <laughs> but no, no, we we need to let it uh, live because reasons. <laughs> but yeah, so th there's quite a bit of 1950s cheese to be had. Um, all the way through, all of the military people are cracking jokes all of the time. Even when two people have died, they are making jokes constantly. And it's a little silly, but it's, I guess, not the worst thing. Overall, I would recommend it, especially if you are a fan of what we're going to talk about literally in a couple of minutes. Um, if you're a fan of the 80s thing and you kind of want to see what they're going against, definitely look at The Thing from Another World. It is interesting and silly, the first time I learned that the thing in the 50s movie is a carrot, a living carrot, and they take that 100% seriously, I, I, I was just dumbfounded. It, it's hilarious. But, yeah. With that, we're going to take a short little break. Um, maybe there'll be a bit of an ad break here. And when I come back, I'm going to be discussing the 1980s thing that will that i'll probably have a little bit more fun with it is one of my favorite horror movies but that's that's for you know after the the little ad break anyway see you in a minute i know you gentlemen have been through a lot but when you find the time i'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch all right, we are back. So, I've literally just finished watching the thing, and yeah, so let's let's dive on into it. So this movie, let me, let me yes, this movie came out in 1982, so 31 years, I think, 
after the first uh, adaptation of the of who goes there this one was made hoping to kind of bring it a bit closer to the original novel or uh, I believe it's a novelette because it's very short um and yeah so this one kind of starts mid action uh, as it were with a Norwegian helicopter chasing a dog, a husky, through the snow and shooting at it. Well, actually, it kind of starts a little bit before that. It starts actually with a with a flying saucer entering Earth's atmosphere, uh, and then it goes into the title card. Then it goes to the Norwegian. Sorry. <laughs> but the Norwegian is chasing the dog, shooting at it, as the dog is fleeing towards the United States research outpost in Antarctica. So that's one of the big changes is instead of being at the North Pole, this one is actually more close to the South Pole in Antarctica. And they're an Antarctic research outpost this time, which I think the original book might have been set at. I'm not sure. I, again, I need to read that short story. <laughs> someday I will, and someday I will just kind of do a big full extra the thing episode probably a couple years down the line <laughs> where i'll do the original novelette the sorry novella that's what it's called the original novella the 50s thing the 80s thing and the 2011 thing one someday i will do all of them together in a nice little bow hopefully when i get more of a format you know solidified but i'm pretty sure it's doing okay so far anyway yes so some additional background real quick before we continue um the first time i watched this film was on fully i first fully watched it on the netflix app on my nintendo 3ds my logic being because i was about 12 at the time my logic was i won't get as scared because it's on a really small screen and that logic seemed to hold out hold true um <laughs> i didn't get scared or anything while watching it and i quite enjoyed it it was pretty good the first time i saw anything about it i believe both the thing and it were on tv um so i kind of ended up conflating the two and always would get the titles confused because they're both very vague titles the thing and it at the time i didn't know what either of them were and as for the thing it was around the time the scene where the dogs get attacked uh and yeah it i was a bit too young for it at that time but then a few years later i watched it on my nintendo 3ds and then i watched it again with uh nathan and it's it's become my favorite horror movie that's for sure Anyway, back to back to retelling the story real quick. So, the dog makes its way to the United States outpost, uh, research outpost four, I believe it's uh, called, and the Norwegian chases it down. Norwegians, there's two of them, and they they take it all the way to the camp. Chase it, sorry, chase it all the way to the camp. They land, get out. One goes to throw a kerosene grenade, I think, like a like kind of a fire. No, it's a thermite uh, charge 
They go to throw like a hand thrown thermite charge at it, uh, but massively fumble. And when they go to like wind up to throw it, it just slips out of their hand behind them. The idiot starts digging for it, uh, while the other one starts to chase down the dog with a gun. The thermite charge blows up, killing the idiot who fumbled it and the helicopter. Uh, the one chasing it down the dog uh, shoots at it, but at that time it's kind of nestling up to the American crew, and he ends up uh, winging one of uh, the crew. At this time, he starts, you know, Terminator charging the like kind of stalking towards it or walking slowly towards the dog hunting it down uh and then the station's captain busts out a window and shoots the norwegian in the face so this kind of of course sparks a discussion one person posits maybe they're at war with uh, norway now but they're not entirely sure why he was hunting down a dog so they decide to check the uh, outpost because it doesn't make sense because it's only been they've only been there about eight weeks so that's not really enough time to get stir crazy and start killing people so they decide to investigate uh mccready the pilot and the doctor i'm gonna have to be careful with names because it's kind of hard to <laughs> there's so many people but mccready's the kind of the main character of the story in this version so they decide to go investigate the Norwegian outpost and just find it a complete mess. As they're, they approach it in the helicopter, they notice that there's black smoke billowing from the site. Um, they land and start to investigate inside, and they see just carnage. Holes in walls, an axe in a door, a guy who's slit his own throat, it looks like, um, and the blood is frozen. It, it's a very tense and kind of cool scene. Then... They explore the lab, and McCready comes across this big block of ice. Kind of similar to the block of ice from the original 50s film, but this time it's more square, and like the way it melted is more kind of... It's neat for some reason. And then they posit, oh, maybe they found a fossil or some kind of creature, and they then ask, where is it? And they find this body outside of the building, kind of still like in this still kind of hot burn pile and they load it up and take it back to the base along with a bunch of research and whatnot uh, a dissection is performed and it's found to just have like normal organs it looks fucked up but it has normal organs uh, so then they decide to continue looking through the research and find that they pretty much did what the crew of the 1950s film did they found this ship in the ice they kind of measured it around in a very similar way by standing in a circle around it they do the thermite charge thing destroy the ship and then they find the flung body uh, a distance away another major difference is that this film the aliens actually crash crash landed in the ice in the 19 sorry thousands of years before not so instead of like oh this just happened no this was thousands of years ago uh and it's just now kind of being reawoken so um after discovering this they then go back and continue studying the creature and they but it turns out that the dog that they had taken into their care they put into the kennel 
and it began to attack the other dogs. So they come in with flamethrowers, or get a flamethrower. They try shooting it, doesn't do anything. Uh, so they burn it, and it, that gets it down, but they kind of put it out very fast. And they also perform a dissection on this and find that it was regenerating. It was um, copying the dogs. Then Blair, kind of one of the head of the uh, research outpost, he does a bit of a study, a very specific study, on you know the likelihood that another crew member is infected, the likelihood of what would happen if it got out. And it comes with, back with like very specific numbers that, oh, the world would be consumed by it by after like it says like 27 or 270,000 hours it means that, that's rapid but at the same time not terribly long <laughs> but um anyway so he kind of goes a bit stir crazy panicking and destroys the helicopter and the tractor and the radio and then they they kind of barricade him off they store the bodies in storage and one of the guys gets got and it's found halfway through the um, process uh, they burn it then they burn all of the bodies just to make sure then it kind of proceeds at a bit of a clip here <laughs> so they they this is where they start going into a bit of panic mode. They try to figure out how to develop a test for it, but one test that they come up with is dealing with blood bags, but someone got to the blood bags already. So then they had to start developing another test. Um, one of them panics, goes for the guns, while they're trying to figure out who might have tampered with the blood. Uh, McCready ends up taking leadership at this point even though he kind of had some sort of leadership from the beginning which is a bit odd but he ends up gaining some kind of leadership and starts trying to figure out what to do uh but while they're going to kind of test things and find some of the missing yeah so while they're trying to develop a new test um the guy who is developing the test goes missing and they go to search him out um but they can't find him well they, they find his remains and after they find his remains it looks like he he either burned himself burned tried to burn the monster or was killed and burned for some reason they can't exactly determine what happened uh then mccready notices that his hut or his like a cabin thing on the edge of the camp it's light still on and the previous day he had turned it off so he takes i believe it's nile to go investigate while uh window windows goes back into the building um and they're gone for like a good 45 minutes when nile comes back saying that he cut cut uh mccready loose and because he found a bit of clothing with his name on it in his own, like, oil uh, burner, suggesting that he might have been turned. So, there's a big debate of whether or not they should, you know, let him in or let him freeze, kill him, 
and whatnot. Then he ends up breaking through the storage window, and he holds them up with like his flamethrower and some dynamite, trying to regain control of the situation. Then uh, one of the people that tries to ambush him in the storage room, he knocks over, and he kind of dies of a heart attack. So they go to, they get the doctors in to, you know, see what's up. They try to resuscitate him, but as they're charging the defibrillator and go into, you know, shock him, the chest opens up and bites down on his arms, which is a really cool effect. That's definitely something that this movie has over the original is the, the special effects and the way that they go about it is, is really cool. <laughs> like, you could see... Some of it doesn't look quite as good nowadays, but like 95 to 99% of it looks amazing. But yeah, so that happens. They burn him and then the guy's head falls off. So they kind of now realize that it, these things can kind of break up into separate bits. So they burn the rest of him, make sure that he's you know, good and gone, and... Then McCready comes up with a blood test, a, a, new, a different blood test. He figures that since they're most likely made up of each part can break off and become its own creature scurrying around, then what he could do is heat up a bit of wire or needle and place it to the blood, and the blood should react in some way to try to defend itself. Um, so he's going through one by one, and... Hits on one that actually does pop up, which causes the person whose blood it was um, to also then react because they've been made. And he starts like growing and attacks windows. This is where a kind of homage to the 1950s film comes in. They catch it on fire after a lot of problems. And... It's a, another kind of long fire stunt, and instead of going through the window, it just goes through the wall, which is a really cool kind of effect. Then, once they complete the blood test, after, you know, <laughs> that one, they kind of, they regroup, and then they decide they have to test Blair, the guy who destroyed all of the, the helicopter and whatnot, and see if he is a thing. They leave Childs behind, go to check Blair but the door's open and he's not in there so they find out that he had dug a hole under his little cabin which was a storage shed they dug a hole he well, yeah dug a hole under and was building a spaceship to I guess try to escape but I guess found it unviable and decided to put the camp into deep freeze so he so, so they decide well we're probably not going to survive the night, or at all. So we are going to take it down with us. So their idea is to pretty much blow up the camp and bring up the temperatures so it can't freeze. They start by blowing up its uh, makeshift aircraft, and then proceed to just go around and systematically burn each room and blow up as much as they can then they proceed down into the generator room and they start to set charges to try to blow the camp as hard as possible 
And while doing so, the two people with McCready get got. And McCready then has to face down the kind of amalgamation creature. Uh, he throws a stick of dynamite at it, which triggers all of the other dynamite. And blows the building sky high. And in the end, it is just him kind of hanging out in a burnt out ruin. <laughs> and Childs comes back who had uh, wandered off and he states that he thought he saw Blair and ended up getting lost in the storm while trying to hunt him down. And then the movie kind of ends up off on a bit of a cliffhanger of, you know, are either of them the thing? Uh, a lot of theories are that um, McCready gives Childs a bottle that is full of kerosene and that was like a test because like oh if he drinks it not knowing that it's you know lethal then he should he's probably the thing kind of thing but i think it's just he because he was about to take a drink of it too so it's probably just alcohol he, he's been drinking the entire movie so it's not surprising that he probably went back to his little hut thing and got a bottle so i don't know because as far as I can tell, that's the only building that they actually didn't blow up. But why he didn't hang out there, I don't know. But there have been, like, two answers to the question of, like, who, you know, was the one of them of The Thing. Uh, there was a sequel comic book called The Thing. I think it was actually called The Thing from Another World. Um, and in that comic book... I think it's just shown that neither of them were the thing. Uh, and they kind of get assistance from a rescue team, but they try to warn them and, you know, things happen. And then I think in The Thing, the video game, uh, I think there's a definitive answer in that, but I'm not sure. Because I, I haven't watched too much of The Thing video game. But I think it's hinted that... Like, one or both of them either just freeze to death or something like that. I, I can't fully remember, sadly. But, yeah. So that's it. That's, that's that. Uh, it's kind of hard to compare the two because they are, while t based off the same source material, they both took vastly different routes to get to, get to their conclusion. I would definitely prefer, prefer the 1982 The Thing over the thing from another world but the thing from another world does have its you know it, its place it it is camp it's silly but it's fun and not you know it's not a terribly boring watch either it's also fairly short so you know if you just want to watch a f short schlocky kind of 1950s horror movie then you know enjoy it it's fun or if you just want to know a bit more about, you know, before this, the 1980s thing, check it out. Because you can kind of see where some of the influences come from in adapt in the adaptation between uh, the, the book. But between the two, like, the one I, I keep coming back to the most is John Carpenter's The Thing. Because... It takes itself a lot more seriously. It, especially for like a first viewing, is a lot 
creepier, scarier, tense if you go into it not knowing, which I mean, I mean, I didn't give away too much. I, mean, I gave away the general basics of the plot, but I didn't really give away much of who. But I, th I think that they both have their value and you can get enjoyment from either. It just depends on your tastes, really. Um, I personally, I love bad movies as much as good movies a lot of the time, depending on the type of bad that they are. If they're cheesy bad, I love them. If they're like slightly incompetent bad, I also kind of like them. So like that's why I have a collection of video game movies that I, I still need to get a few video game movies to kind of have that be complete. But like the, I think it's 2003 Doom movie. That's hilariously bad. It's great. It's also a bit boring, but it's fun and bad. <laughs> uh, I also got, so the way I got the uh, 1980s, the thing, because I do have it on DVD. That's how I just watched it is I have a four pack. Uh, it's called the four movie midnight marathon pack aliens. So it has the thing they live village of the damned and virus. So at least three of them are John Carpenter movies and then one, I don't think it's John Carpenter. Ooh, but I do need, I really need to watch it. It has some good people in it. It has Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Sutherland in it. So I definitely need to give Virus a watch. And I guess eventually Village of the Damned. <laughs> but I've only watched The Thing and They Live. I love The Thing and I like They Live. They Live's a bit silly. But, yeah, you know. It's a good old time with these movies. But I think I'm going to leave it there. Because I do need to start stitching this episode together and getting getting things prepared. I have kind of planned out the next episodes leading up to April. I have, I have them laid out next to me. <laughs> prepared to go through and kind of review a bunch of movies and books and at least one video game, I think. Um, and that kind of leads directly to the challenge. Uh, I, I, again, I, I, <laughs> again, I'm not going to really be announcing that for a little while, but it's kind of, I'm going to be pre-recording a lot of this. So if you do end up emailing through, uh, lost in sci-fi and fantasy at gmail.com uh do know that it's likely that i won't get it for many many episodes because <laughs> there's at least 20 something episodes that i have planned i'm gonna start kind of working my way through recording them over the next few weeks uh and of course they'll be slowly coming out while i'm working on them but I'm going to kind of be doing them in bulk things. Uh, the next episode after this, I, already, I do already have recorded right now. And it's going to be Around the World in 80 Days. I, I already kind of announced that in a previous episode. And after that, I will be doing Avatar The Last Airbender Book 1. So finally actually dipping into a series. Uh, I figured out... Kind of at least how I want to do it for the Avatar series. Because I'm going to be doing Avatar and then Korra. 
uh, kind of back-to-back, there will be a couple of episodes in between each book. So I've been figuring, trying to figure out how I'm going to do some series, and Avatar kind of splits itself nicely between relatively short seasons. So it's not too much of a thing to try to recap and discuss between each season. So, yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do book one, then there's going to be at least two episodes, then book two, two episodes, book three, two episodes, so on and so forth. Uh, all the way through Legend of Korra, along, and then I have a bunch of stuff in between that that will be hopefully a nice uh, mix of things to kind of keep things spicy and uh, different. <laughs> if you guys liked it, please feel free to share, review it, um, anything. <laughs> anything helps anyway thank you guys so much for listening i will talk to you guys later goodbye